It is the 200 level episode 367 Toys in the Paddock. Aerosmith fans will understand the reference. Yesterday was one of those all time days as an Illini football fan, and we haven't had too many of those. And this season has been, as we're all aware, quite taxing. And yet, somehow, the last month of the season has given us relevance, something to look forward to, and in the least expected place. The story of John Paddock was already great fodder for preseason articles about the backup who was an Illini legacy with a grandfather and an uncle, I believe, that had played for Illinois, maybe even a great-grandfather, but someone that's either third or fourth generation playing Illini football comes here as a grad transfer, a preferred walk-on from Ball State. I remember when they announced this signing back in maybe December, January, and thinking that that was a shrewd move to get a, an experienced backup that could basically play the Art Sikowski role, where if you needed to call on someone in a pinch, you would have someone that could manage a game. Didn't hear much about him throughout training camp, and it was obviously Luke's job. And it still should be long-term. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But what we've seen in the last two weeks, it's hard to contextualize because it just doesn't happen much. And as an Illini football fan, this has never happened, period. We just saw a historic performance at Memorial Stadium, the most passing yards by any Illinois quarterback in a game at Memorial Stadium. And I think by a considerable margin, too. I'd have to see what the next biggest passing day at home would be. We know that the away game for Dave Wilson, 621 yards, that's a part of Illini lore despite not winning that game. But that was in the early parts of the Mike White era where there was all this excitement about an air raid offense, which was relatively new at the time. When you consider the Big Ten West and the offenses that you see from these teams, what Illinois offensively did yesterday was bananas. Absolutely bananas. And to top it off, it was your backup. Rather short fella who does not look like the most physically imposing quarterback, dropping dime after dime after dime, 24 for 36, 507 yards, four touchdowns. Yes, there was the interception where I think he wanted to get the ball out of bounds and then maybe it slipped on the way out. But whatever the case, if not an A+, it's the closest thing to it when you consider that performance yesterday. And to end it like that, it almost makes the defensive laps that led to overtime in the first place, it almost makes that worth it because you get that moment. Now, we'll get to the concerns in a bit. There are concerns from yesterday. There are concerns about this team as a whole, and that's why they're 5-5 and and not 7-3. and I don't know how good they are necessarily, but when you are playing the likes of Indiana and Iowa and Northwestern, even though they are looking better, it gives you a shot to make a bowl. To win the to end the year with seven wins, maybe, whether that's in the regular season or after a bowl win, and feel like, wait a second, after a two and four start, you actually kept the momentum going. But this doesn't happen, and we don't have this conversation if it's not for John Paddock. You can't put a price tag on it. You can't say that what he generated for the University of Illinois by winning those two games, you know, I heard Jeremy and Joey kind of thinking about this out loud on their podcast. And I've thought about that too. What dollar amount could you even put on the comeback last week and this win against Indiana, which does not happen without a Herculean effort from Paddock and his receivers and Reggie Love, don't forget, and the offensive line, Barry Lunny as well. 
But it all starts with this amazing story. And I enjoy being at games, and there's not many I can probably point to, but there's enough where when you walk out of the stadium, you know that that is one that you will remember. Now, last year, for me, and a lot of Illini fans that have been long-suffering fans, I think the Iowa and Minnesota games last year were such a breath of fresh air, and it was really hard to beat the positive vibes after either of those. It felt like such a release from years of being in the cellar of the Big Ten. I would have to go back a little bit further than that to find other big moments at home. I don't know, Arizona State 2011? <laughs> beating Penn State to get your fifth one of the year in 2014. Not not really because the stakes weren't as high and I wasn't as invested in that team. The Rose Bowl year, sure, but man, it, it's slim pickings to find those moments at Memorial Stadium. And we went into that game yesterday with Brett Bielema being 4-8 and eight against Big Ten teams at home and far better on the road. Seems like an anomaly, right? But maybe we are working through some sort of weird toxicity of playing at Memorial Stadium, a place that has seen probably more disappointments than celebrations. And all the ghost of games past, they're just kind of, they're laying low and waiting for that fourth quarter when, just when you feel comfortable about getting that win, they pull the rug from under you. But John Paddock refused to let that happen. Ask yourself, when that game went to overtime, what did you think was going to happen? I had walked over to where my dad and his buddy Gino were sitting, which are usually where my dad and I sit, but we had some friends in town, uh, Kara's friends from Indiana, not Hoosiers fans. They they had the time of their lives at this game. What, what a first Illinois football game to bring somebody to. Maybe I converted them. I don't know. And they love Johnny Paddock too. And how could you not love Johnny Paddock? Can I call him Johnny, even though he's like 24 years old? But I, I mosey over because I was going to walk back out to the tailgate with my dad and Gino, and there's a few minutes left in the game. We're up eight. We punt it away. We pin them deep. And again, like the Wisconsin game, I'm, I'm kind of saying to myself, nope, I'm not going to fall in this trap that we are doomed to fail. I think that we have played this right. The defense will just get one last stop, even though they haven't been great. Don't worry. This is not going to be a repeat of two weeks ago. Or three weeks ago, whenever it was. And then it was. And then you have a chance to stop on the two-point conversion, and you don't. So what I do at that point is I go down to not from our seats, which are about five rows away from the entryway on the West Main. And the security guards weren't manning it anymore, so you could kind of hang out in those entryways and do a little pacing, do a little walking if you need to get the edge off. And I, I frankly needed to. And I also was going through that mental game of, okay, if Illinois loses, how are you going to feel about it? Hit overtime, and like you, or I'm guessing like you felt, I think we're, we're going to lose this game. How do I react if we lose? How do I keep my cool? Can I divest from this team just like that? After John Paddock and Isaiah Williams and Reggie Love and Casey Washington, just again, amazing performances that had brought so many of us back in on that second half or second quarter and second half, especially. Can I divest that quickly? But whatever I was doing, meanwhile, on the field, the defense is actually getting a stop when they needed it most. So kudos to them for that last stop. Bielema gave them credit for that as well, as he should. 
pull them to a field goal, even when Indiana makes that field goal, I'm thinking, oh man, you gotta be kidding me. Like, why can't they have a scrub kicker? And maybe they do for all I know, but uh, he did have an extra point blocked yesterday. But he makes that kick, sky high kick, and somehow it goes through. Damn it. Okay, well, could be worse. You can still win it with a touchdown, but you get to a third and six. I forget what the second down play call was. But on the third and six, it's right in front of me. I mean, this is at the, what, 21-yard line, and we're about the 25-30 of the north end zone. And you see the pressure. And at this point, my dad is actually down in the entryway, too, standing with me because we're ready to leave whenever overtime's done because on the west side, it's a little bit shaded. It was shaded for most of the game. And meanwhile, when you're in the sun, it's like 15 degrees warmer. So we're starting to get a little chilly. We're getting antsy. And I know that we're thinking, God, just if we lose, this is going to suck. John Paddock rolls right. And like in slow motion, he tosses it. And what I love about big moments like this is the slightly delayed reaction. Because from our vantage point, it's far enough on the other side of the field where I can't tell if Isaiah is going to actually score or if he might go out of bounds at like the five. But when he turns that last little corner to easily nudge into the end zone, maybe a quarter of a second delay, and then the stadium erupts. To feel jubilation in that stadium again, which we have not, mind you, since the Minnesota game last year. That's over a year since there's been a true exaltation sense of relief and joy all at the same time, winning a big game when you needed it the most, in front of, also, a really good crowd. And then, five seconds later, realizing not only did you get that win, but you saw something remarkable, something historic that will be in Illini Media Football Guides or Football Media Guides for the rest of time. 507. Absolutely insane game that we saw yesterday that I tweeted afterwards was equal parts exhilarating and exhausting. But man, when you can walk back out to the tailgate lot after a game like that and soak in a victory on what was a perfect fall Saturday, Dad's Day weekend, an Illini tradition that's just tremendous, and then to be able to share with my dad and then all the great people that were at our tailgate and just the vibes were just... ah, Finally, and to me, while beating Wisconsin because the name on the jersey would have felt better and it was homecoming as well, I don't know. Yesterday was kind of a do-over for it. Chance to get back to 500, playing a team on one of your big football weekends in town, homecoming and Dad's Day. Beautiful weather, yet again. Good crowd, yet again. I'm sure the Minnesota game helped with that. And this time you finish the job. Now, you made it more difficult than maybe you had to. But Indiana was also bringing it themselves. And I want to straddle that line between criticizing the things that we should with Illinois, but also recognizing that Indiana wasn't all that bad either. And that you probably beat an Indiana team playing their best ball right now. And that might bode well for you playing Iowa and Northwestern. Boy, oh boy, that gets more and more interesting as they continue to look good. But you have a shot. A month ago, it's November 12th. On October 12th, you're two days away from playing at Maryland where you were two touchdown dogs. And I was so ready when I got to Vegas to go to a sports book and lay down big money on Maryland. Thank goodness I didn't. And since then, despite the fourth quarter against Wisconsin, you have won three games with game-winning field goals, touchdown, and overtime touchdown. 
the cardiac Illini, but we are not having this conversation today without John Paddock. So wanted to start with that because it's just remarkable. And we will go many years watching Illini football or whatever your other favorite football teams may be, pro or college. And the only equivalent I could think of, and this is probably a stretch because this guy ended up winning an NFL title, but Nick Foles coming in and being the guy for a Philly team that had been so good early in the year with Carson Wentz. And then you figure, well, maybe Nick Foles can just kind of manage things. And instead, literally plays lights out through the entire playoffs and the Super Bowl and probably plays better than he might actually be, but he was the right guy at the right time. Maybe John Paddock is that for this team. So let's talk sponsors. Let's talk quarterback controversy. Let's get into some of the criticisms of yesterday, of which there are more than one, and what this means going forward. Before I get too far, i got to remind you the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe. Online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdoe.com. Did you have a celebratory calzone yesterday? You should have. It was a worthy day for a celebratory calzone, and they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So go online to dpdoe.com for a custom zone with any topping you want or one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone online at dpdoe.com. Also, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. Give them a call at 217-840-2985. We have our furnace checks scheduled. I believe this week they're going to come in. And unseasonably warm right now for like another week, but you know that those cool temperatures are coming. We can vouch for Dogtown. The customer service is great. They are really good about letting you know when they're going to get there too and getting there right in that time window because you know with HVAC people, depending on who you've worked with before, you never quite know. With Dogtown, you do. So we love working with them and appreciate their sponsorship. That's Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Give them a call at 217-841-4728. Also got to thank State Farm agent Brian Hansen. Online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business renters, you name it, Brian is my guy. And he can be your guy as well at brianismyguy.com. Um, hopefully we'll see him. I need to reach out to Brian because we do have some basketball games coming up. And I will be doing some second half podcasting, including the Marquette game. I'm going to figure out the deets for that, but Brian was so good last year and, and look forward to getting him back on at some point as well. But in terms of what he can do for his day job, he's our insurance guy, has been for a few years now and will be for a long time. So you can get the CARP seal of approval for Brian Hansen, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Finally, Owen Builders LLC online at owenbuildersllc.com. Luke Owen and his staff, expert craftsmen, great customer service. They're very timely with communication and they are exceptional at home additions, patios, decks, other projects as well that you can check out a gallery of their work online at owenbuildersllc.com. All right, Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Appreciate them as well and appreciate you for listening, watching a few of you on YouTube. I just kind of sprung this stream in the afternoon, the the days after home tailgates and when we have guests in town too, which we did. Mornings are a little slow going. You know, you're getting the energy back. You're hydrating, you're eating, getting all the tailgate stuff put away. But man, it's a lot easier to do that after a win. And there's a a glow in the air after a win like that that you just didn't get three weeks ago after the Wisconsin game. You know, that that was a buzzkill, to be quite honest. And it was such a different tenor when we get back out to the tailgate and some other people had driven into the lot after halftime when it's open 
So we had a lot of family and friends there and just the these moments that when you're kind of sitting there having a drink and talking with people and you just kind of look around and soak in everything and, and have this very sort of wistful, ah, this is good. This is the stuff. It really hit me last night when we closed out our tailgate with me, Kara, two of her friends from Indy, and Gino, who has been tailgating with us forever. And Gino set up this really good fire. So we're sitting around a fire, listening to the Rolling Stones' new album, having a good drink as we wind things down before we got to tear things down and put them in the car. And just, again, it's, it was these periodic every few minutes thinking, we won that game. Games that we don't win like that very much. We won it. And that was with a lot of things going against you and a lot of things that were self-imposed as well. But, you know, we call this episode Toys in the Paddock, Aerosmith, Toys in the Attic, a great album. John Paddock being the guy distributing to all his toys. I don't know. That's a bit of a stretch with the pun title, I admit. But let's talk about the receivers. Isaiah Williams, superstar. Pat Bryant, before he got hurt, looking great, but i got to give it to Ashton Hollins, coming in his place, getting three receptions for 46 yards, including a back shoulder, a couple back shoulder, I think, and one in particular on the sideline. That was impressive. Casey Washington getting his first catch. Reggie Love helping with just a tremendous game running the ball. And the offensive line setting everything up. But it all goes back to your quarterback, getting the ball out quick, making quick reads, darting that thing in there. And as I read on a few message board posts, and would tend to agree with this from my vantage point in the stadium, he does throw a very catchable ball. It doesn't always look like a dart, and maybe it's not. But boy, it does seem to softly land in the hands of whoever is catching it. And I just got to say, you know, in all my years of watching Illini football, and all the bad that I've seen. Yesterday, in terms of individual performances, I cannot think of one that comes close to that. Sheer efficiency, right? And let me be careful with that. I will say in person, I guess you could say Isaiah Williams, Juice Williams, at Michigan in 08 was extremely impressive. And in a way, his performance at Ohio State in 07, while the numbers weren't gaudy, was super efficient against a much better defense. So you could argue that's more impressive in context. But in terms of offensive individual performance, I've never seen someone just control a game like that. And that every time you started to worry a little bit as a fan that, oh boy, what if this paddock magic is over? Then he throws another 20-25 yarder. And there were a few dink and dunks here and there, but for the most part, these were intermediate and deep throws that he was completing at an extremely high clip. One overthrow, I remember. A couple well-defended passers from Indiana. 66% throw completion percentage, and these are not, this is not West Coast offense. You know, like he's, he's taking some chances and has the ability to because of good blocking and making that quick read, which all leads me to this point. John Paddock needs to be your quarterback going forward, and I don't think we should overthink this. You can't sit that down. You cannot say, hey, kid, you might be the hottest quarterback in the Big Ten West easily, but if not the Big Ten, with performances like that. But we got to sit you for Luke Altmaier. This is nothing against Luke Altmaier. I'm a Luke Altmaier fan and have been for the entire season. Even after that Rocky Four interception performance, I thought, okay, we're going to call that an aberration. And it basically was. Luke has been good. Luke is your quarterback. 
going forward. But desperate times, right? You've got to win another game or two. Who gives you the best chance right here and right now to do that? Well, if it were just a matter of Paddock is the hot hand, that would be one thing. But it's also the fact that there is an intangible quality to what he brings that seems to permeate to the rest of the guys on offense. The chemistry that he already has with the wide receivers, they look like an offense that had been playing together for two, three years. It did not at all look like a guy making his first start for Illinois. And oddly enough, the first possession was not good. He had two not-so-good throws. And I think after that, if you take those two incompletions out, then he was 24 for 34 for 500. You know, if we make that a wash, the rest of the game was all the more impressive. It's the swagger, the confidence, two game-winning throws in a row. Both of them pretty difficult throws to make. If you're on the sidelines, the Illinois sideline, you think there's something magical kind of brewing here, and we are not sitting that down. You cannot sit that down. So if I had to guess, Bielema will say the right things this week. He will play cards close to his vest and not say anything particular about who the starter is or is not going to be. And John Paddock will start Saturday. I will not be outraged if he doesn't and they decide that Luke Altmaier is the better play and there is something to be said about the mobility that Luke has and against a team like Iowa, you really need all the weapons you possibly can. But there's also something to be said about John Paddock bringing you something different and an ability to air it out that might cause Iowa some issues. Because if you play offense like yesterday, Iowa has not faced an offense like that this year. They just haven't. I mean, Penn State, they gave up 31 points to. Penn State just fired their offensive coordinator. Iowa's defense is very, very good. Statistically, one of the best in the nation. But they have not gotten a look at an offense like this. Because Minnesota ain't it. Northwestern's offense ain't this, what we just saw with Paddock. Rutgers, no. Go down the list of the Iowa wins. What's their most impressive? I don't know. But I do think that with Paddock, you could score 20 at Iowa. I don't think that's crazy to say. You could score 20. Now, the defense, which I'll get to in a second, that's a whole host of other issues. But you got to not just ride the hot hand, but you got to go with the guy that the entire team believes in. This goes beyond, oh, he's on a streak. Nope, it goes to the intangible qualities of this resurgence that we're seeing with Illinois, which, yes, it did get started with Luke Altmaier. And Luke is tough, and Luke is good, and Luke will continue to be good. Now, if your concern is that you're going to lose Luke Altmaier because you bench him, and he says, oh, great, another old Miss, I can't believe this, and he transfers, I'll put it this way. One, I would have a hard time believing that Luke would react like that. It doesn't seem like his personality type. Two, I'm guessing that there's name image likeness things that will probably be trickling his way next year as there should be because he will be your starter. And third, if it came down to a situation where Luke is so peeved that a guy playing at John Paddock's level right now took your job for the last few games, that would be a bit of an unreasonable reaction from Luke. And if he were so inclined to transfer because of it, good riddance to an extent because this is 
blatantly obvious what you need to do. I, I think it is. And we talk about it being a tough call for Bielema. I think it's a tougher, not a tough call, but but the sales job that he will have to make to Luke. And this is where he's getting the big bucks as someone that has to manage personalities, manage egos. Well, it's not the NFL size egos. These guys still have egos. How do you massage that tension and get what you want, not piss anybody off, and have the best chance to win? If John Paddock plays on Saturday, there's not a guy in that Illinois locker room that thinks they're going to lose. Now, what is that worth? I don't know. Is there a certain number of points that we can attribute to sheer confidence? I don't know. But you know, in that pink locker room at Kinnick Stadium, they'd be looking at John Paddock and thinking, he's got us. And this is akin to Raleigh O'Toole in 2014. And Wes Lunt did still start for you in 2015 and 2016. I think it was spurred on by an injury, Wes Lunt not being 100%. But then Riley O'Toole was playing well enough that you had to ride it out. Well, Riley was good at the end of 2014. This is different. So John Paddock's your starter the rest of this year. I, I just don't think you can make that change. I think the simpatico that he has with his receivers, the fact that he makes the offensive line look a little bit better by being that much quicker. I think Tommy DeVito with more of an ability to go downfield. One final point as well, and I've seen this kind of going around the internet, and I understand why this question would come up. The question being, why, why was he not starting from the get-go? I am less inclined to think this was some massive oversight by Bielema and Lunny. I, I, I don't think that's the case. The stats and the history told us that, hey, John Paddock is a serviceable backup. Mistake prone. Quite a few interceptions last year. I think he had 18 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. I'm sure that in practice, Luke does things that John Paddock wasn't necessarily showing. A theory that I've seen kind of bandied about on message boards and Twitter through texting with Trevor and Isaac, this notion that John Paddock is a 24-year-old guy, I think 24, who has been able to be on the sidelines for the entire year, soaking in everything, soaking in the offense, learning it, and just ready for his turn if it ever happened. And that he's a smart enough and cagey enough athlete where he's been able to take all that knowledge that he's accrued and just come out guns blazing in a way that he would not have been able to at the start of the year. So if we want to relitigate not starting him at the start of the year, I get it. But if that would also be, well, if Luke Altmeyer were bad, I think it'd be a bigger discussion to have. Luke Altmeyer has not been bad. In fact, Luke Altmeyer is pretty good and someone that I think you should be excited about when he's a junior and a senior because the kid has talent and he's had some really good games this year. I think he'll get better. I think he'll be really damn good. He's already pretty good. But this to me is more of a, a lightning in a bottle situation that is going a little bit further than I thought it would. I thought if anything, and I'm sure many of us did, yeah, John Paddock gives you a chance to beat Indiana. I mean, if you were walking in the stadium yesterday and someone were to say, hey, what do you think about today? You'd think, well, you know, hey, John looked good at the end of the game last week. Let's see if he, you know, can't help us get 20, 24 points and, you know, eke out a win. Because I think any of us would have walked in that stadium saying, you won by one point, it, it doesn't matter. 
you win seven to six, doesn't matter. Just get the win. I think that was everybody's mindset. Style points were not really important yesterday when you're just trying to make a bowl. But the fact that this lightning in the bottle is now five quarters, and yeah, consider the opponents, I suppose. But <laughs> if you can get 507 against Indiana, who's to tell me he can't get 250 against Iowa? It sounds ludicrous. But until he comes out and just straight up sucks, it's kind of hard to believe that there's not something else brewing here. And let's just let's just roll with it. Let's observe what let's see what happens. Let's see what happens because what we've seen so far in five quarters or just over four quarters, basically 60 minutes plus overtime and the last minute and a half of Minnesota, the guy is all Big Ten level good. And guess what? He doesn't need to be all Big Ten level good for 12 games. He only needs to keep doing what he's doing for a couple more. I see no reason why he can't. And now that you have wide receivers really starting to make plays, and now that you're starting to block a little bit, and I'm guessing Fagan, he looked pretty banged up. Let's say it's just Reggie Love at Iowa. Yeah, that hurts. But I tell you what, the same game plan he had against Indiana, air that sucker out. Air it out. And if that means he throws two or three picks, so be it. But don't get into a snooze fest with Iowa. Don't do that. If you're going to go up there and spring an upset, be you, as old Matt Nagy used to have in his play call sheet. But be you. And with John Paddock, that is intermediate and deep routes all over the damn field. Back shoulder throws like Aaron freaking Rodgers. I mean, there were a couple right in front of us yesterday where I say to Gabe, uh, a friend of ours from Indiana, I, I say, that is Aaron Rodgers stuff right there. The Ashton Hollins, especially on that sideline. Just beautiful throws. That's not, that's not fluky. When you're seeing that, that's not fluky. And maybe he is one of those rare people that when the lights are brightest and the game has started, a switch flips. He's a gamer. And I think we could say that safely in this very small sample size that we have. But I'm telling you, if you, if you tell me right now that he is starting on Saturday against Iowa, I say flip a coin. I know the spread right now is Iowa minus six. Fine. I know that they scored some points in the fourth quarter against Rutgers. They wore them down eventually. And then Deacon Hill made a few throws. I think he had 200 yards passing, which for them is like you know the equivalent of John Paddock throwing 507 apparently. But take your chances. Flip a coin. Because I really do think that is what Saturday is. With Luke Altmaier coming back after an extra week off, after getting his bell rung, his... The bugaboo with him this year has been ball security, and I think that's a big issue going against Iowa. And knowing that you want a quick decision maker because Iowa will get to you and your quarterback, all signs point to John. Right? It's got to be it. Let's not overthink it. I got a few things here in the chat thread, and thank you all for joining me. Again, I did not announce when I was going to do this. I just got done with some of my early stuff today and said, let's podcast. Let's get to it. So this one is from Andrew. Hey, Andrew, how's it going? There are a couple of photos floating around of Isaiah Williams crossing the goal line for the game-winning TD with the biggest smile on his face. You love to see it. Andrew, I mentioned last week after the Minnesota game, joy. It, it sounds trite for me to say, well, the joy of when your sports team wins. But really, if you think about it, it does have a positive impact. <laughs> like If they would have lost yesterday, I guess we would have done a podcast, but I, I actually probably would have scratched it. I, it's just because what would there have been to talk about if you are four and six in another soul-crushing loss at home? 
But flip it. You won in overtime. You won on that play. And to see the smile, and I know what pictures you're talking about that have been floating around out there. Isaiah Williams is sort of carving out quite the place in Illini lore. And I'm having a hard time thinking of an Illini football player in the last 20 years, 25 years, since I've really been an active fan, that will have as be as esteemed, I should say, as Isaiah Williams. When you consider the fact that he committed to your program in the absolute depths, four or five-star kid, quarterback, athlete out of St. Louis, new coach comes in, he converts to wide receiver, pretty good his first year with Brett at wide receiver, better last year, but this year just literally first, all, first team all Big Ten. There's no doubt about that. What, what growth, what maturity, seems by all accounts to be a great dude. These are the kinds of things that in this name image likeness era, which I am glad that the athletes are getting their pay, and I hope that Isaiah is too. But these are the stories in the NIL era that still humanize it and make you realize that college sports still are different than pro. The Isaiah Williams of the world are probably becoming more rare. Stories like that of people sticking it out through adversity at a program, coaches leaving and deciding not to go with them. He could have went to Purdue if he really wanted to with Corey Patterson, decided to stay here. I don't know if there were ever any legs under that or not, but he could have. Sure, cross his mind, but he says, no, this is my home. As an Illini fan that has been rooting for a not-so-good football program for most of my life, that means a lot. So anytime that Isaiah Williams is back and gets recognized on the field, standing ovation, as warm as Richard Mendenhall. I mean, you know, that's another name, that Juice Williams. You would go back to them, and um, I suppose you could for, you know, Whitney Merciless has had a good NFL career. Devin Witherspoon's going to be returning, and that, that'll be a big deal too. But if you think about the reaction that Isaiah will get, it'll have a little bit of extra oomph to it because I think people recognize that he is a special kind of story that you don't get a lot anymore in college football. So, Andrew, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, statistically he's been amazing. I think the larger macro perspective of what he's meant to this football program that's that's a pretty unique place that he will be in for more than anybody on that roster. Casey Washington and him maybe, right? And there's other veterans that, of course, you want them to have their success too. But really, for Isaiah, most of all, you want them to finish this year strong, finish seven and six. Well, funny thing is eight and five is still on the table. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that be something? Two straight eight win years. But what, what have I told you right now? Seven and six. Even if that means six and six, you lose one of the next two, but you win your bowl game. We'll take it. Hell yeah, we'll take it. And it's right there for you. And and for Isaiah, in what might be his last year, and I hope it's not, I hope you show that kid the money and convince him to come back, and it would not at all, not at all shock me if you got him for one more year. And what, what a coup that would be if you did. But, Andrew, thanks for pointing that out because those pictures are great. You can find them on Twitter. And it is a series, I think, of like four photos of as he's crossing the line. Just He knows it. Two straight game-winning touchdowns. Both of them, pretty significant degree of difficulty. He improvised that route yesterday, got Paddock out of a bind, and man, Paddock just complete strike. Let me get a little bit of water here, everybody. I'm sorry. It was a uh, <laughs> it was a fun day, and I was a little more vocal than I am at most of these games. 
from Mike. I have to imagine if we can qualify for a bowl two years in a row, even after having several drafted last year, it has to appeal to athletes in the portal this offseason. Agreed, Mike. This is going to be a big offseason. There are issues with this team. Let's hit a couple of them right now. The secondary is in a period of transition. And the shorter guys like Taz and Strain that had been here and you expected to be your starting cornerbacks and be really good have had different issues, right? Taz has been a pretty good cover guy, but the discipline issues and the penalties have just killed you. The spitting thing. You know, I think Bielma called it a he said, she said. If he spat, man, that that would be disappointing doesn't cover it. It's it's the kind of thing where you wonder, okay, well then does Bielema have to instill some of his own discipline and just not play him next week? It's not just Taz that's making penalties. He had 14 for 139 yards yesterday. That's that is a red fire alarm right there. In year three, that kind of messiness is inexcusable. A lot of them were, five of them, were defensive pass interferences. Because you just couldn't keep your hands off the guys because you couldn't cover McCauley. Six foot five, I get it. You just couldn't cover him. They tried a few different guys. I Eventually, I would just like double them up because this is like Steve Smith against the Bears in the 06 divisional round when he was just torching Tillman and Lovey refused to add another defender on that side. We're fortunate it didn't kill us yesterday, but uh, yeah, as far as the bad, the secondary is in a period of transition where the big guys like Atobi or Sabor Kareem are young. It was great to see Makrasetich, and even I was like, who is that guy? When he gets the interception, and then, oh, that name, because I'd heard Jeremy and Joey talk about that name before, and that the coaches really like what he brought, and he's getting some of that deep safety time yesterday. Makes the most of it. Secondary is just not making plays. They just aren't. And yesterday would not have been as nail-biting if they had just played a B game. They played a D, D minus. I don't know what the heck was going on back there. But credit to Soresby, who's not a bad quarterback, who did get it out fairly quickly. Our defensive pressure got better in the second half, and it helped you keep them to a field goal in overtime. So thank goodness for Johnny. Gabe Ackes, you know, you started to see the D-line get going. But the secondary was a sieve. And I don't care if Iowa sucks offensively, which they do. But anybody could have been completing passes against that secondary yesterday. Very disheartening. Defense as a whole. Is there an Aaron Henry problem? It's amazing the difference a month makes where I was ready to move on from Lenny because the Nebraska game to me was such a low point where it felt like there's no identity. He's had all this time to figure out an identity and they still haven't done it. Well, Caden Fagan helped change all that. The offensive line playing better helped change all that. John Paddock has helped that in the last five quarters, though Luke Altmaier was starting to play well himself or better, I should say, because I thought Luke was already doing all right. But... Now, it's Lenny's safe. I mean, you can have your issues with him, and that's fine because there are things you can nitpick. For example, third down yesterday, I think you probably should have passed it to convert one more first down because you were getting those yardage, getting that yardage at will. And that would have put the game away, and you would have 
left another 20 seconds on the clock if it was incomplete. But at that point, the way Indiana was throwing it, it didn't matter if it was two minutes and 40 seconds or two minutes and 20. Bleeding the clock doesn't mean mean a whole lot anymore unless you're talking under a minute. It doesn't mean as much. So we can nitpick, and there are things to nitpick about. Do they get too conservative when they have a lead late? Wisconsin a bit you. Almost bit you yesterday. I think they probably did get too conservative. But all that said, it's also hard to argue with 650 yards of offense and 48 points. I, how, how do I argue against that? Maryland, they scored, what was it, 23, 24, maybe 27. Wisconsin, 21. Should have scored more. Minnesota, 27. Yesterday, 48. If they get 20 against Iowa, that's a win. Well, hopefully a literal win, but a win for the offense. And I would imagine that would end up being a win for the team. And I think they can. I will say this in Lenny's defense that as I'm watching the offense, I'm actually kind of enjoying watching it. You know, I and even before Paddock came in, I mean, the first half against Minnesota, that was a fun offense to watch. They they were mixing it up great. Caden Fagan, super effective. Again, him being hurt this week, if that's the case, that's a big one. But Reggie Love looked great, and now it seems like you're just run blocking for whoever's back there. So I, I think there is something with Lonnie. I understand why there is this appeal towards him, and it's really shown the last four weeks. But this defense, statistically, one of the worst in the Big Ten. They have not gotten better. The secondary is, yeah, arguably gotten worse. And other than that second half against Minnesota and the first three quarters against Wisconsin, it's difficult to say that there have been any prolonged stretches where the defense has truly looked very good. Maryland, they were pretty good, right? But Maryland was also doing Maryland things, and they have not been the same since. You don't need to apologize for that win. It was a big win no matter what. But I don't know if the defense was spectacular that day. I think they were good. But for the most part, the defense has damn near lost you two games that the offense did enough to win. They choked. And that's all you can say. The defense choked against Wisconsin. Of course, the offense could have scored you one more touchdown. That's on money too. But the defense is not holding up their end. They had plenty of rest in the second half. As I'm watching that second half unfold, timeout after penalty, after another timeout, and we had this one possession that I think on the field for five minutes, but in real time, probably 25. And thinking going in the fourth quarter, hey, our defense is going to be fresh. Fresh as a daisy. Didn't matter. I'm sure that Aaron Henry's trying everything. But I think the problem might be that he is overthinking and trying everything. And it's a younger guy who's a first-time play caller that is struggling. Now, does Brett Bielema do the Tony Peterson thing? I doubt it. But could you also see him and I... This is what we were talking about on the thread last night with Trevor and Isaac. But like, could you see, hey, Jim Leonard, here's 800000 bucks. Aaron, co-defensive coordinator, whatever, call it a demotion if you want to, but getting some help. Because the first-time play-calling duties have seemed to, at times, been overwhelming for him. It is compounded by the fact that you have a secondary that is brand new. But if you go back to the early parts of the season, that defense was an absolute mess, and they were the bigger culprit than the offense in the Toledo, Kansas, and Penn State three-game opening stretch. 
they were the culprit. And by the way, these fourth quarter breakdowns, you can go back to the Florida Atlantic game. Same thing, Florida Atlantic made that a game late because you couldn't stop them on a 99-yard drive. What the hell? All you had to do yesterday was keep them from getting a touchdown and a two-point conversion in the last two minutes. Couldn't do it. Something is amiss. It's Bielema's program. Whitman will give him the money to make the change that he needs to. I don't think you need to fire Aaron Henry, but I do think a co-defensive coordinator or some other arrangement to give him some help because that is not working. It's not. And I worry that it could bite you in the Northwestern game. I think the offense will score against Northwestern. I do. But I think the way Northwestern's playing, they're going to score against this defense. So we're going to get into a shootout with them because I can't rely on the defense. We saw yesterday. You could be up eight points against Northwestern with two minutes to go. I'm not counting on them to actually get a stop. So that that is disheartening. So what is it? Secondary, the defense as a whole, and the lack of discipline, the penalties. Uh, it, it was ridiculous yesterday. It it would have killed you had the opponent been better than Indiana. It damn near killed you. You almost wasted an all-time effort from your offense. And while you did outgain Indiana by 200 yards, they still got theirs. I think they were like 425, 450. If you add the penalty yardage of 139 or 149, then all of a sudden the yardage is pretty close. There was a touchdown drive for Indiana after you went up two scores that was alarmingly quick and easy for them because you gave up a big kick return, special team stunk yesterday. And then you basically penaltyed them all the way down to the end zone. An, an absolute mess. Offense was a little bit cleaner. Not too many penalties on them. It was just a great day for the offensive side of the ball. But boy, oh boy, special teams negating a kickoff return, though I don't know if it happens without that block or hold from Ryman, but just too many. And that was disheartening because that is not the Bielema ball that we were sold or that we would think Brett Bielema teams would have. One final gripe because yesterday was mostly good. And that's why I only want to delegate. There are concerns we got to talk about them, but trust me, I'm, I'm feeling much more positive than negative because you won. And that's all that matters. But I had a tweet yesterday after we call a timeout. Indiana had substituted. The ref screwed up by not letting us substitute. Now, I did not get that at the moment from where I was sitting, but we call a timeout so we can get a substitution in and Brett Bielema can go off on the refs. We still gave up the touchdown, right? Now, yes, the refs suck. And I admitted as much in a tweet later. Like, there was a, there was a couple calls where, and then a couple of on-the-field calls where they had to immediately replay it because the guy, even though he was right in front of the play, missed the call. And I said, yes, these officials suck. I, I'm on Brett's side. And overall, I am. But, but, how much is it helping you to waste these timeouts? to make points to the officials. Can't, can't we just line up and, and play that defensive play? The easy argument against that would be, wait a second, the matchup would have been terrible. Yeah, yeah, maybe so, but even when you got the matchup in, they still converted. We've seen multiple times this year, whether it was them allowing us to substitute or not, the defense not being set. And that's why I was pissed off at first. It looked like we just weren't set. But then there was the substitution thing that I didn't pick up on right away. But regardless... I, that's something I just don't empathize with a whole lot because this is coming on the heels of Isaiah Williams, who ended up having a great game, fumbling a punt. 
And I know it was a wobbly, weird pun on the way down, but that was a killer. And in my mind, I'm thinking, the message we're sending with this constant bitching and moaning about officiating is that we aren't accountable for our own mess. Now, I know that's not directly what Brett Bielema is saying when he raises issue with the officials. But we are not 5-5 five and five instead of 7-3 and three because of officials. We are not. We're only 5-5 five and five because we've made far too many losing plays this year. That's the bigger issue than any officiating. So when I saw that, it was just vexing. It was like, Jesus, again? Another timeout to make a point to the officials, and there was one or two in the second half that you took as well for varying reasons. But we're just throwing these timeouts like, like they're nothing. But they are. They're important. So you got to decide whatever beef you have with the officials, what's more valuable? Making your point right then and there and using a timeout to do it? Or just waiting and talking to them during the myriad of TV timeouts in what yesterday was a four-freaking-hour game. Thank God you won. (laughs) I mean, we will look back and laugh and smile at that four-hour ridiculousness that we saw. But, man, there are plenty of opportunities to talk to the officials. Give them a piece of your mind. That's fine. Oh, boy. Thank God we won yesterday. Because, I mean, there were there were enough glaring issues that remind you this is not last year's team. And remind you that there's a lot of work to be done in the offseason. But, fortunately, there's enough good as well that has allowed you to overcome these in three of the last four. All right, this is also from Mike. Luke has two more years, so we could benefit from having some greater weapons come in because of sustained success. Mike, that was about your transfer portal being a key. I would agree with that. I think they will supplement the offense. From Steven, Luke has a higher ceiling and can run, plus he had him for two more. Uh, I still think he's the better option when fully healthy. He, You know, and if we're being honest, Steven, he probably is. But sports are weird. So we can look at the larger sample size, and I would admit with you that I do think Luke Altmaier is probably the better quarterback, all things considered. But because sports are sports, and it's such an emotional, intangible kind of thing, and you're up and you're down and ebbs and flows, it just seems to me like right now, it's just you are striking while the iron is hot. Why would you take that iron out of the fire? Got to leave it, is what... My take is on that. Again, not going to be outraged if they say Luke Altmaier is the starter. And Luke might come out gangbusters against Iowa. He might. I do worry that Luke's weaknesses actually make him a bigger liability, perhaps, against Iowa. The ball security, holding the ball a little bit longer than John Paddock. Just that quarter of a second makes all the difference in the world when you have Iowa's defensive line bearing down on you. All right, this is from Seth. If Paddock doesn't start and Luke struggles or doesn't play well, Brett will get questioned to no end. Paddock is the best option for a really good Iowa defense. He makes quick read, reads and passes. I agree with that completely. And Seth, I, th- I think that, that'll be the move. I, I just don't think that you can mess with that. He's not going to declare anything until Saturday. Iowa's going to have to prepare for both. I think Iowa will be assuming that John Paddock would be because I think most sane people would think, well, why would you make the change? Go with it. So I would assume, you know, yesterday we could have gotten some sort of definitive, oh, Luke is healthy, he's our quarterback, but boy, John was great. We could have gotten, that's a very Lovey Smith sort of thing. Rex Grossman's our quarterback. 
we could have easily gotten that and we would have thought, what? Don't make that call now. But notice the coyness with which Bielema responded to that. He did say Luke will be full go this week, but he did not say Luke will be the starter. And there were some clarifying questions. The door is wide open for either to be quarterback. And I think that tells you they are debating it themselves. I think it'll be a pretty quick call. All right, this is from Mike as well. Isaiah's story reminds me of Io to some degree. Obviously, the impact left isn't the same in football with so many on the field, but you love to see a local talent commit and succeed when we were solo. 100%, Mike. That's Did not think of the Io comparison, but I think that's fair. And if you can make a couple bowl games in a row, and God forbid, if he comes back and you make three bowl games in a row, and he's your number one receiver on all those teams, that'd be something, wouldn't it? But he is really etching out a unique place in Illini football history. Great story by all indications just an absolutely great person as well so just a very easy to root for story and person and that that is what makes college sports still even with the nil that's what makes it different and you love it this is from alani brick girl i can't believe casey hadn't gotten a touchdown before crazy indeed because so many big catches the two-point conversion to win at penn state casey has been a rock i'm trying to think of a sure-handed guy that he reminds me of whether it be a bears or alani receiver he's never been a star but he's so steady, and whenever the ball's thrown to him, I feel like, yeah, you know, he'll he'll haul it in. Wouldn't be surprised if he's got another big catch before his career is over, but pretty strong finish. And, I mean, you know, listen, you are not 5-5 five and five without Casey Washington getting that catch against Toledo. You are not 5-5 five and five without Isaiah Williams getting the last two game-winning catches. You just aren't. Wide receivers have been pretty good. I mean... Your your offense is middle of the road in the Big Ten, and it's going up every week. So Barry Lunny is starting to do his job, I think, and hell of a hell of a turn because the the first six games, I mean, I was ready to move on. I think many were. I think many it was to the degree of like, do you get a midweek firing? Do you get a midseason firing? And it didn't happen, not shockingly, but the fact it was even being bandied about shows that people were really fed up with the offense at that point. All right, this is from Alana Brickroll in reference to the uh, Mac Redisich interception. She says that I saw the interception happening before it did just because how I could see him make the read of the ball. It was big. It was really big, Alana Brickroll, because Indiana, you slowed them down in the third quarter. I think you forced a punt or two, but no... No matter what, it felt like whenever they got the ball, they had a pretty good chance of going right down scoring. So I remember saying to our friends from Indiana, you know, they're having fun, but they aren't as emotionally invested. Like, oh, God, what if Illinois loses? They're just enjoying this crazy game. Uh, if you said yesterday that that game was drunk, the game was drunk. It was all over the place, but it was a beautiful mess. So they loved it. But I, I said to them, you know, this is fun and the offense is going to keep cooking, but if we're going to win, we need to like op play from the defense. And while it's not the craziest interception you've ever seen, it was a very good read and it kept them out of the end zone for that one drive. And that might've made the difference. So anytime you could take away Indiana's potential of getting the end zone was massive yesterday because they were hard to stop. I mean, that was a pretty poor defensive performance, but I will give credit to Indiana. Their quarterback looks pretty good and even running the ball, tough son of a gun. All right, this is from oh, Alana Brickroll also. Technically, we have co-OCs. That's right, we do. I think it's Jameson as your assistant defensive coordinator. Something like that. They gave him a 
promotion in terms of title, but yeah. This is from Alana Brickwell as well. Brett goes off about the substitution issue every week. Three games in a row, we've taken a timeout over it. Yeah. And it's a problem. Yes, it is them messing up. You have to decide. Okay, the refs are not going to get better. They aren't. So how are you going to handle it? And how does it affect your team? Timeouts are massively important. I just think you need to guard those, in the second half especially. Guard those with your life. All right, this one is from Andrew. Random gripe here, but Wisconsin fully turning to complete ass after playing us makes the comeback victory at Memorial Stadium that much more annoying as hell. Owning them for three quarters should have won. We should have won that game, Andrew. We should have won Nebraska. There's a reason, again, we're 5-5 five and five and not 7-3. and three. I don't know if this is a good team. I, I don't. I do know that making a bowl game is paramount to any notion of sustaining momentum and becoming a good program. We are better. We are serviceable. We are competing again in a way that we thought that we would at the start of the year. The Wisconsin game would have hurt no matter what. It would have hurt less had we, let's say, beaten Nebraska, right? Or beaten a Purdue team that finally their offense got going yesterday. But if you would have beaten some of the teams that you probably should have and not dug yourself such a hole, that Wisconsin game sucks, but you weren't sweating out a bull bid. So... This is one of those weird cases where the team's record is fairly indicative of what they are right now. Oddly enough, you could make the exact opposite argument, and Trevor made this good point. Last year, we could have said, rightly, they were closer to 10-2 and two than they were 6-6, six and because six. they were. There was no win on that schedule that was really fluky, Iowa being the closest, right? But every other win, you basically were in control for most of that game. This year... You were grabbing victory from the jaws of defeat in the Toledo, Minnesota, and eh, Indiana. I mean, you could say, I mean, they sort of snatched defeat from the jaws of victory themselves. But regardless, five and five is about right for where this team is playing right now. Because had they been playing like this from the start of the year, it would have been, yes, a cardiac season by all accounts. But I think you get the Nebraska win. That would have put you at six and four instead of five and five. And maybe you sneak out one of those other games and you find yourself at seven and three and it just feels different. But all that said, it sets up the last two weeks that you have a chance to win both games. You have a chance to lose both games. We'll all be puckering up a little bit if you're five and six playing Northwestern. So let's just beat Iowa. What the hell? I mean, I know the name, and being at Kinnick is like, oh boy, but this team plays better on the road anyways. They, they just do. And I don't see any reason why Illinois can't win at Iowa. Now, if they have 14 penalties, they're not going to win. If the defensive secondary is as bad as they were against Indiana, they are not going to win, even though it's Deacon Hill and whoever the hell's catching balls for them right now. I, I don't know. That happens, they won't win. I feel like Illinois got away with an A performance on offense yesterday and a D-plus from defense and a C-minus from the special teams, if not worse. They got away with one. So what if they just get solid Bs from all units? Hell, that, that's a win, I think. I think right now that would be a win against Iowa. I told Harry Black on the podcast last week, I think that you went out. Though the caveat I would have said is, well... <laughs> You win out if you get this first one because there always seems to be this hurdle when they come back home to Memorial Stadium. I would love to think that that helped them get over that themselves. 
that kind of emotional win where, oh, we, we won that game at home. See, there's no ghost. There's no hex. There's no curse. We can actually win big games at home just like we can on the road. But now let's go win a big one on the road. Big week. I'll be back Tuesday night. Illinois Marquette, second half podcast here. And a game that I think, you know, I was at the Oakland game on Friday. It was a frustrating first 30 minutes, but this team will have moments like that. I think defensively they'll be strong all year. I think that when they are going offensively, they have some unique matchup problems they can present for other teams. They just don't have a point guard that can create for themselves, and they don't have consistent three-point shooting. So you're going to you're gonna have to gut some of these games out, and Tuesday is a game that I think you can gut out. And Marquette, one of their best players, might have hurt his ankle against Ryder, so we'll see his status. But regardless, I think even a fully healthy Marquette, it's early enough in the year where I could see Illinois winning. I, I actually think they will. just seems like one of those games that, yeah, you're at home, early non-conference, get the win. It would really help for Selection Sunday, and you got a few opportunities in the non-conference to do that. But here we are in November. We got a relevant football season and games that we're looking forward to. We got a basketball team that, on the whole, I think will be pretty good, but still have moments of like, but I do think personality-wise, they won't drive you as crazy as last year. And man, Quincy Garrier, that was my takeaway Friday. Kid, kid, 24-year-old, just like Paddock. <laughs> he's a stud, he's a man, and it shows. So let's get it done Tuesday. But hey, let's get it done Saturday at Iowa City. Now, I will be up in Michigan. We're doing Thanksgiving with Kara's family this weekend in Michigan. So I will have my stuff with me in case there needs to be an emergency pod on Saturday. I love I love for there to have to be an emergency pod. I'm not going to do it if we lose. But if we win, I think that might be worthy of an emergency podcast from the guest bedroom at my my father and mother-in-law's house because that it, that just seems like it would be a big deal. Iowa offense being bad or not, it's still Iowa. That it, that would be a win that means a lot and I think would do do a lot and go a long way for Illini fans to cure whatever ailed us earlier this year. I mean, those are the wins that really resonate. All right, everybody. What have we been? Just around an hour. Excellent. So they won. We saw a crazy-ass game. We came out on the right side of it, and we are in bowl contention. Two tricky games for varying reasons. They could win both. They could lose both. They could split. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to go with my, I'm going to write it out, the John Paddock thing. I think they went out. Don't mess with it. The iron is hot. Leave it in the fire. Ride this sucker out. Luke is your long-term quarterback and I like Luke a lot, but there's something brewing here. And I got to imagine that over at the Smith Performance Center this week, they're thinking, damn, that Minnesota comeback was fun, but what we saw Saturday, we can work with this. I don't I do not think that they would mess with that chemistry at the moment. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at Brian is my Dogtown Heating Air and Plumbing. Give them a call at 217-841-4728. And Owen Builders LLC online at owenbuildersllc.com. Best way to support the podcast is to support our sponsors. We appreciate them and appreciate you. Thanks for the few of you that tuned into YouTube for the Spur of the Moment live podcast. Had to get it out here, and it just feels good. A sun-soaked Sunday afternoon, unseasonably warm in November. Going to go do some yard work and mulch some leaves, and it just feels better to mulch the leaves after you've won a football game. Days like that are rare. 
It's what I call a five-star day. Top to bottom yesterday, dad's day. Big home win. Beautiful fall day. That's why for football fans, it can mean so much more when they get a big football win versus, let's say, a big basketball win. We only get so many of these Saturdays, so when they work out that perfectly, hang on to it, embrace it, and soak in every moment of it, and I'm sure that you did yesterday. All right, we'll see you Tuesday night, everybody. In the meantime, bask in the goal of victory, and we'll see you soon. It is the 200 level.